Hey everyone, thanks for joining Gary and I. I'm a little impressed we made it to episode 10 of the Shared Experience podcast. All right, Zorth, um, Gary here. Hope everyone's doing well. Um, we have Corey Dillon today, who is a Pi Alpha from the 91 North team. Um, he's a Zeta Phi Colorado State alumnus, uh, founding father, uh, number two initiate of the chapter. And first off, just want to welcome Corey. Great. Yeah, Gary Zorth, thank you for having me on. The last time the three of us were together was in, where were we? It was Florida. Sarasota. Sarasota was at the last day that we were there, kicking off our 2021 Gear Up Florida team. Um, yeah, that was always a, always a good time, always a good trip to be with y'all. Let's see. I am now off of staff, so for our listeners, I... Um, I rolled off of staff um, actually right after Gear Up Florida, um, just kind of onto a new opportunity, new career that came about um, in the finance world. So um, I'm excited to stay on this project with Zorth to keep things going. It's going to be a fun thing to continue to do um, just to bring you know experiences of our Pi Alphas and tell some cool stories about the good work the Ability Experience does. Um, but today... With Corey as our guest, um, a lot of years of involvement, a lot of levels of involvement with Corey, and just all you know, one of our top volunteers as an organization, uh, easily. So, um, one of the big things we want to talk about today, and kind of kick things off in this area, is just the level of safety measurements that the Ability Experience makes now, and as it relates to cycling events and the measurements that they've made and implement, you know, just new processes that we've brought in over the last number of years. Um, and so, uh, Corey has been a large part of that project and, um, just want to kind of bring him in and talk about some things, but Corey, just to kick things off in that area, um, you know, talking about wholesale changes since the 91 team, which is one of the first teams we had on journey of hope. Um, what, what are the big off the bat changes that you, that you've seen from then to now? Well, probably the the most significant change that uh, from then to now is the fact that uh, we've all got cell phones, right? Um, it, it's it's funny what what you take for granted, but uh, ask anybody that uh, that rode Journey of Hope in, in any any of those early years, uh, you know, guys from uh, you know that initial eighty eight, eighty nine, those teams that Jim Carlovic put together, and then uh, you know ninety, and I was at ninety one. You know, anybody from those early years knows that. You know, back then, you know, our navigation was was literally uh, somebody in a, in a vehicle had an atlas uh, with a roadmap on it, and we were trying to get point to point. We had, you know, occasionally we'd have uh, you know daily route sheets put together that were pre-printed uh, and, and handed out before the ride for the day. But that was that was the extent of it. There's no no navigation. There wasn't the ability to call somebody if you ran into trouble. Um, you know, we were literally out on our own uh, a lot of the days, and we certainly didn't have enough crew to be able to mark turns for us and, and tell us where to go all the time. So, uh, you know, it was uh, it's kind of catch as catch can back in those days. So, things in terms of uh, the events themselves are so much better organized today, uh, so much more dialed in in terms of uh, of the routes that we're on, um, communication among the team, communication uh, with the crew. Um, you know, everything is just a, at a completely different level these days. And uh, you're being a little humble about it, but also you had a huge influence in all of that. Well, we, you know, we've, 
I've been fortunate. I, I was asked to kind of come into the fray uh, a few years back. I, I guess 2016 was the first year I uh, was asked to come back as, as a volunteer coach that year. Just, you know, I got the opportunity to ride with the, uh, the 2016 North team uh, that first week. Yeah, you know, and anybody that's done North, you know, what a great experience to get to go actually ride Kirkwood again uh, and, and enjoy it as opposed to suffering through it that first time. Um, but, you know, I got to go ride with that 2016 North team and, and spent some time as a volunteer coach that year. And it was the next year then that um, I was asked to, to come in in a little bit more formal capacity and, and uh, uh, kind of take what I was doing on the side, I'd started a business that was kind of corporate wellness, corporate fitness, and a lot of training and coaching work with organizations, uh, corporate groups. Uh, but I was able to kind of take that and, and apply it against the, the Journey of Hope Gear Up Florida model um, to, to really put some uh, pretty significant changes in terms of how we train guys, um, how we prepare them for the trip. Uh, so that you know, guys that have been around for a while, uh, Pi Alphas from, from years back, um, literally wouldn't recognize the program we've got in place today. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and you know, I, having been on staff, I came on staff in 2016. I was here for a lot of the at least recent safety additions. What, what do you think, Corey, what was the kind of the reason that we decided to, you know, make some wholesale changes? What was it that made us realize there was a, a large gap with safety? Well, I don't know that if I would characterize it that, that, that there was necessarily a large gap that was out there. But I think one of the things we realized is just that when you take a couple steps back from what these trips look like and how we're, we're putting these together, um, organization, we had kind of gotten away from best practices in the cycling world. Um, you know, we'd, uh, we'd kind of had a very prescriptive approach to safety for years. And, you know, this was a kind of a direct result of you know, the, the one and only uh, true tragedy that we had on, on Journey of Hope was, you know, early 2000s. Um, it was kind of a direct result of that, that organizationally, uh, you know, the decision we made way back then to, to kind of prescribe safety. You know, it's where you know, the, the rules to, to ride as far to the right as possible at all times uh, came from, you know, always ride in the gutter, uh, always stay to the right. Um, it was very, it was, it almost got to the point, it was very draconian. You know, guys, you know, anybody that, that, uh, kind of got their pie off the experience, um, kind of late 2000s, uh, 2010s, um, you know, had that experience of, you know, if you do this, you will be racked kind of thing. It was, it was kind of a draconian approach to, to trying to keep people safe and it was very prescriptive. And I think, you know, we just realized, you know, I, I got pulled onto the board uh, back in 2013 and I've, I've uh, been chairman of the, of the safety committee, uh, I think since 2015 or 16 now. And, you know, we, we really took a look at, at what we were doing organizationally and, and worked with staff on, okay, let's, let's look at best practices in the cycling world, um, what works and, and what doesn't work. And, and it really kind of comes down to, if you look at the program that we've got in place today, it's all about making sure that uh, the safety is in the hands of, of the person who has the best judgment at the time. And it's not necessarily somebody sitting in an office in Charlotte. Um, it's the guy sitting in the saddle on the bike. And, you know, the person on the bike 100% of the time has the best view on uh, where the safest place to be on the road is, uh, what the right decisions to make on the bike are going to be. And so we, we really kind of revamped the whole safety program. And I, I really give, give Basil and I give staff a lot of credit for, uh, for doing the heavy lifting on that and, and kind of 
putting a lot more emphasis on guys making good decisions on the bike. Um, and you know, what I've done, uh, from a training standpoint, uh, you know, the, the company that I, that I run and that we've, we've been working with teams now for, for five years, um, we really emphasize that same thing, kind of doing enough training beforehand so that guys have the, the experience it takes to make good decisions on a bike. Yeah, you talk about all the changes that there are now. Walk us through some of the specifics. I mean, what does it look like to be a team member on the roster um, kind of pre-trip for uh, cyclists especially? Yeah, so uh, you know, a huge, huge change in, in the training side. Uh, you know, it used to be you got on the roster and, and you knew you were supposed to ride uh, and, and record some miles, and, and you had to had to tell somebody on staff that you were actually riding a bike. Um, but there almost became this badge of honor, uh, especially among chapters that sent a lot of riders every year. Uh, you know, some of the bigger chapters that were were well well represented on these trips for years. Uh, it, it kind of became a badge of honor to show up without training and, and just kind of suffer through that first week. And, you know, while we, we kind of got by doing that for a lot of years, the, the reality is we, we didn't have safe teams on the road. I think we got lucky uh, a lot of years. And, and I think we, we wanted to be a little bit more um, focused on, on, on making sure we had people that had actually ridden the bike um, show up at, at orientation. And so the training program now, you know, you, you get on the team uh, as, as a new cyclist, uh, almost everybody that does these trips is, is new to cycling. So that's not, that has not changed. I think that's, that's one of the coolest things about Journey of Hope Gear Florida is that it, it gets, you know, brand new people to come in uh, and get on a bike. You know, Zorth, I think you were a little bit unique in that regard and that you had tons of experience before you did the trip. Um, but it's usually the other way around. Uh, but yeah, so guys get on the team. We want them to go get their bike. Um, but we also give them a training plan. So one of the things that, uh, that we do, I, I work with a partner, Alan Greening, uh, and Alan and I put together training plans that start uh, as soon as the teams come together. So uh, most years, uh, that's in November. It sounds like it may be October this coming year. Um, but as soon as the teams come together, we start a training plan in November. We give a, 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 an online training, pr training program through a portal called Training Peaks. Uh, which you know, for any of you out there that uh, that might be listening that have ever uh, run marathons or done triathlons, Training Peaks is one of the the most used coaching platforms out there. Um, but we can deliver a training plan directly to somebody's cell phone, um, so that every day you get a, you get an email from us with uh, with workout with a workout that you're supposed to do that day. Um, so we really want guys training early. Um, the other part of that is we we also require guys to record their their bike rides now. So instead of just you know, trusting that you're going to do it, um, one of the changes we implemented this past season that, that worked incredibly well is that we actually went to Strava to record all those rides. So you know, we deliver these training plans through Training Peaks. Uh, guys on the team get them. They, they see what's being asked of them. And then they have to go out and ride their bike, record their, record their rides um, through Strava. And then we'll tally up those Strava results over time to, to see, okay, who's training, who's not, uh, and follow up with the guys that, uh, that are a little bit behind. Yeah, there's, there's no real way to trick Strava either. I mean, you see no. the routes, you see the time in the saddle, the mileage. It's really nice that we implemented, or that this was kind of around. I don't even know for how long Strava's been here for, but yeah, it really holds everyone accountable because there's been times where, and I'm sure a lot of people who have listened, kind of no brag, no tell, like, yeah, just show up to JOH, do what you need to do. But you really hurt the team when you show up with no training. 
And you just really, it's more the experience on the bike itself that makes it safe. And yeah. that's miles in the saddle makes you a better rider. Yeah, I, yeah, Zorth, you hit it on the head. I mean, and that's exactly the, the message that we stress with guys you know, right from the get-go. When, when guys join the team and, and our first communication with any of the, the new cyclists is, is look, we're, we're expecting a lot from you on the training side, but we're asking you to do this because it's all about safety. You know, we want guys that show up at orientation who have spent time on the bike, in the saddle, uh, because again, it comes back to we're, we're putting responsibility for safety really squarely on the shoulders of the guys who are on the bikes. And the only way they can make the, the right kind of decisions uh, for their own safety is if they have enough time and have enough experience in the saddle, on the bike, uh, making those decisions on the fly. So, you know, otherwise it's just kind of empty words that, that uh, go in one ear and out, out the other. So, um, you know, once guys have a little bit of that uh, kind of firsthand knowledge and they've, you know, they've been in, in scenarios where, you know, okay, they got buzzed by a car. Um, how do you control that next time? Uh, you come to an intersection, not really sure what to do. Um, people didn't understand where you wanted to go. Well, it's a good learning experience. So, you know, questions start to come up and, and guys begin to respond a little bit better. And, you know, the, the nice part about that is I think the last couple of years and, and you know, Zorth, you're probably in a better position to, to comment on this than me because, you know, you, you see these guys just orientation uh, as, a, as a volunteer coach. Um, but I think the last couple of years, we've had guys show up at orientation uh, and, and we have teams that come together in a very different fashion now than we did even three or four years ago. Yeah, no, I, I agree. People, I remember when I first started volunteering that there were some people coming in with bike issues or things that they've never done or learning how to clip in for the first time. And, and sure, that was like, I think 2016, 17, 17 or 18, something like that. And the difference of seeing him now and being able to, you know, come a day early, do a practice ride and seeing everyone a little bit, well, a lot more experienced than before. You know, still there's some situations that come up and, um, you know, we accommodate as much as we can within reason. But, um, yeah, no, it's 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 a lot better than what it was. You know, I do mostly gear up Florida, but I've even seen just so much improvement just in that. And. Not only that, when you're preaching about writing and everything like that, the safety program that happens behind the scenes of all these things that we want you to be aware of, things that could happen like hypotheticals or, you know, even the term being vigilant as that's a leading term that everyone uses of just being aware of what is happening around you. Um, you know, we don't encourage people to have music or headphones or anything like that just to be also aware of the situations and within your group writing. So it's just, you know, more years on the road kind of deal. Yeah, yeah, no, no question about it. Because I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it, it's all about trying to make sure we've got safe teams on the road. And you know, one of the things I think we've just had to come to terms with uh, through the years on on all of these summer cycling events is that um, there's no way we can we can guarantee safety. It just it, it, there's cycling events, and we're using public roads. There's just no way we can guarantee it. But what we can do is is try to you know, try to minimize as many risks as possible. And you know, the more experience, the more training guys have coming in, um, the the more we can do to minimize those risks that are inherent uh, in, in being on a bike. Um, and and clearly, it, it's not always you know you can't you can't control everything. You know, Gary, you referenced the last time we were all together. Um, and, and here I was, you know, coach of the team, guy talking about safety, uh, lying on my back at the side of the road with a broken collarbone. Um, you know, it, it just happens. Uh, you, you can't control for everything. Not a fun day. <laughs> no. Um, 
I, you talked about like all this. It's so much different um, for the team members before they get to the road, and so that's obviously like the the stuff we try to do before they're out there, and then once they're there, you know, we cycling coaches like Corey. You mentioned Alan uh, Zorth is one of our cycling coaches. We've mentioned that before. Um, we've got such a strong network um, now um, with the organization with us with the cycling coaches. How you know how how did some of these connections come to be, and what does that what does that program look like? You know, it's it's great. Some, you know, the, the nice thing is we've had some of these coaches uh, that have been around for so many years that uh, they predate my real active involvement in, in, in these trips. Uh, you know, is so, Dean you know, one of the oldest ones too? I, I look at guys like like Dean Peterson, uh, yeah. like like Dustin Jackson. Uh, you know, these guys have been around for a long time. And man, if you want you want somebody with with cycling knowledge and and just the ability to add tremendous value for our teams. You know, these guys bring it and, you know, we're so fortunate to have them as, as volunteers who are willing to come out and help out our teams uh, on a regular basis. You know, these guys give their own personal time to, to come and, and spend a little bit of time on the road with our teams uh, at the start of each trip. And man, that's, that's just invaluable, um, you know, to, to have their experience out there. Um, they give a different perspective to, to the guys on the team who are all novice cyclists. Uh, you know, these guys bring a level of experience and, and uh, diligence with, with their cycling that uh, you just can't replicate. So, yeah, I mean, to, to have that has, has been fantastic. And I know, you know, that, that list of, of volunteer coaches continues to expand. Uh, I think, you know, Basil and staff have done a really good job of trying to reach out to, uh, to some of the more active cyclists out there. Um, you know, one of the things we did this, this past year is we recruited a bunch of guys to, uh, you know, throughout the, the preparation period, you know, starting kind of right around year end and, and all the way up until the trip started, we recruited, a, you know, about a half dozen or more uh, past Pi Alphas from around the country that were willing to kind of, you know, manage and, and help out with these small groups. So they got, in, instead of doing a full team meeting over Zoom, uh, these guys were getting together with, you know, anywhere from eight to, to 10 riders uh, on their own uh, through Zoom to be able to have conversations just like we're having here about, okay, you know, what should I be thinking about? How's training going? Um, and and you know, that involvement from past Pi Alphas and, and guys that are still cyclists, man, it's been great. Uh, to, so to, you know, to see that coming back around, I think is, is fantastic. And you know, my hope is that we'll continue to get more of that through, through stuff like this. Yep. Um, yeah, I think, uh, Zorth, is there anything else you want to touch on with safety before we kind of transition into Corey's story? Yeah. Um, I'll say a lot of things because one of the things that they're able to do, and we've experimented with how to give everyone routes. I think one year we did do cue sheets that everyone taped up and printed. Um, but some of the problem of that is for those not familiar with how the routes go per day, there is a scouting team the night before that goes out and sets off a certain amount of distance to kind of ensure that the route selected is what is accurate and what is safe. Um, a lot of times that can change on the fly. There's been times where they have to quickly adapt and do it. Um, but one of the ways that they're doing it is they're doing it via a route, um, a route kind of simulator and then giving out those to people who have garments or if everyone has their phone, they can get it that way too. Um, and it's like another way of them tracking where they're at in placement. Um, there are things that have made the process a lot quicker for cyclists to be on the road. Whereas in the past, you would have a crew member, you know, mark every turn. Um, I don't even know if we've mentioned that before, but now it's the right turns or straightaways. They're mostly marked with spray paint. You know, we mark the corners, you know, with enough t 
time for them to react to the turn. And that alone saves a lot of navigation through like more urban environments and rule is you just, you're going straight forever, you know, but in those situations where you're doing like three right turns or one, you know, a turn left, you have one person marking it. It's like the whole day goes a lot faster. And then it goes back to the cyclists for their due diligence on the road itself. That's a huge factor. And I mean, just having the map, because I mean, even recently when we were in Miami, I think a few of us did take the wrong path or it wasn't very clear of what to do. They just safely pulled over the side of the road, looked at what the map said, and then were able to re-navigate. And being that we were kind of, you know, closely around everyone, you could kind of see that there was a situation. So everyone could pull off on the side of the road on the right side and then just regroup and reroute. So yeah, that was, yeah. that's been really good. I think it's been that's been tremendous. I think yeah, the, the last couple of years being able to you know between the the marking of the turns and just to keep things moving. You know, there there's so many fewer red flags today than there used to be because of the way those turns are, are being marked. Uh, and then yeah, giving everybody access to the the on the fly maps. Uh, you know, for anybody listening, we we use Ride with GPS um, as as the the vehicle to deliver those, and you know, which is a, a very common cycling platform already that that's widely used. Uh, and it's great because you know, the, the staff, again, they do a really good job every year of trying to trying to look at the routes, uh, trying to look at kind of the, the local uh, hot routes uh, through Ride with GPS and Strava uh, and Garmin and you know, see, okay, you know, in, in a major area, where do cyclists ride? Um, so that we can you know, ideally uh, choose the, the safest possible option for the teams uh, in, in each location where they are. Yeah, so I think, you know, transitioning back into how Corey got here, you know, what, it all starts with joining PiCap. What, what got you interested in PiCap uh, on, on campus at Colorado State? You know, that's a, it's a great question. I think the, the honest answer to that is that there weren't other, uh, there weren't other Greek organizations or fraternities that, that really appealed to me. Um, I went through uh, a little bit of the rush process my freshman year, uh, 1988 at Colorado State. And uh, there just wasn't anything out there that, that called to me. You know, you think about uh, any stereotype you probably have of, of uh, fraternity life uh, was, was going on during those rush parties back then. And, you know, it, it was all true. It was all real. And, and it just didn't really appeal to me. And, uh, you know, about midway through my freshman year, um, there was a, a leadership consultant from PICAP that, uh, that came out and was recruiting for a, a new chapter of, a, of this fraternity that you know, we'd never heard of. And a handful of the guys that I was already hanging out with were, were interested in doing this. And so we, we cobbled together. We ended up with 55 guys to, to colonize um, at Colorado State. And uh, it was fall of 1988. And uh, yeah, it took us took us a couple of years to get a charter. We chartered in 1990, uh, fall of 1990, and uh, uh, you know it was around the same time that I, I got exposure to uh, some of those early Journey of Hope teams. Uh, Jim Karlovic and I have, have shared a couple of stories. It's kind of funny. We I, I realized that you know I, I saw I think he and uh, and Paul Drake uh, on stage at a at a PiCap College one year. Uh, the team came in and, and these guys were like rock stars up on stage. And, uh, you know, I looked at that and said, I want to do that. And uh, it, so you know, applied for the team uh, uh, that next year and, and got accepted. And, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, rode, rode that north route in 1991. Um, well, and you've, we talked about it. You've been very involved over the years. What, what kept you around? 
you know, I, I wasn't terribly involved for a lot of years. I had uh, had kids young, uh, so you know, I had kids fairly fairly soon after uh, graduating from school, and uh, so I was busy with with kids and work and just regular family stuff, and and for a lot of years. And then uh, Chad Coltrane reached out. You know, I continued to donate a little bit here and there. And, and uh, Chad Coltrane reached out. Uh, he happened to ride in 1991 as well. So he was on the South team in 91 uh, when I was on North. Um, but he reached out and, and asked if I'd be interested in being part of this steering committee uh, to look at potentially you know, raising some, some bigger money for, uh, it was still Push America at the time. And so I got involved with that, uh, did that for a little while. And, and after we kind of finished our, our project on that, um, uh, was asked to join the board in, in 2013. And so I've been pretty, pretty actively involved ever since. But I'm about to, uh, you know, my term is about to, to expire. So I've got one more year left on my term on the board. Well, um, we'll find some well. other way to keep you involved. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so here's a question we like to ask, and I'm, I'm here for your answer for sure. Um, describe the ability experience in three words or less. They can be three different words. They can be, it can be a sentence, you know, just rat. Like if you had to sum up what the ability experience is and what it means in three words or less. Meaningful life change. It's pretty good on the spot. I think if if I'm limited to three words, I think I'd go with that because I think, you know, I think it holds true for for people that uh, that participate in in any of the events that that the organization uh, puts on, whether it's it's Gear Florida Journey of Hope, uh, any of the the building weekends, any of the projects, the you know the Guatemala trip, any of that stuff. You participate in any of that stuff, it's going to be life changing. Um, you know, Basil always talks about, and I, I love this. He says, you know, these trips will be life changing if you let it, um, but you have to be willing to open it up. Um, but I think on the on the, the other side of that coin, um, you look at at what we do as an organization and, and that dual mission of uh, kind of building leaders uh, while doing work uh, for people with disabilities. Um, that combination is powerful. Uh, so you know, the the leadership qualities that I see. Uh, guys come out of these events with, you know, at, at the end of the summer, there's no question, um, you know, you, you get to the lawn, that West Lawn at the Capitol in DC and, and, and you're a changed person. Um, you know, that you, you've developed something uh, that most of your peers just have no concept of, of how to, you know, how to understand. Um, and on the flip side, you look at the, the people that we, we interact with along the way and, and all these shared experiences with, uh, w- with the people that we're really doing this for. Um, and the fact that they are so fired up about having our teams come through every single year um, says that we're making really life-altering connections with these people. Um, and that's, that's powerful. It's powerful all the way around. I mean, even just the delay of t- 2020, you know, the few finisher visits that we got to experience all together. And they were all modified to fit the current situation, but it, it wasn't like we were any different than what it had been in the past. If not, it was more accelerated. There was way more enjoyment. Um, and those moments were just that much more cherished because um, yeah. we, we had been without friendship visits and, you know, teams for a year. Yeah, we missed a year. We missed our friends. They missed us. Yeah. Um, it was kind of surreal to be down in, in Florida and realize that this was the first in-person friendship visit we'd had in over a year. 
um, well over a year. I mean, certainly our team events over a year, but um, as a great organization as well. Have you, here's a separate, Corey, have you been to an arrival, like a, a DC arrival after a year of coaching or the doing the orientation? Uh, the, I think the better question is probably have I missed any? Um, and and, and oh, the reality is okay. no, I, I've, I've been almost every year. I think I've been, I think I've been to arrival every year since I've started coaching the teams. Do you, I mean, I haven't been doing arrival yet. I, that's probably bad on me and I need to do better. That's crazy. I'll work on it. But do you notice the difference in some, of uh, I wouldn't say immaturity, but some of the kids demeanor early on, you know, just being exploratory or just, you, you know, youthful in the sense. And then by the end of it all, just how much more accomplished they've become and how much more wiser. Yeah, I think so. And, and I think, um, I think that's a consistent phenomenon, even from kind of the earlier years too. I mean, I, I just feel like it's one of those trips that does, that does change uh, everybody that participates, you know, from the time you start, um, you know, it's a collection of, and for the most part, you know, anywhere from you know, on average 19 to 22 year old young men that, um, you know, lots of individuals, lots of ego. And, you know, you watch this stuff evolve over the course of a summer. Um, and by the time they get to DC, you, you've got these teams of, of guys that are truly changed. Um, they're definite leaders that have emerged on these teams. Uh, there's confidence, uh, and, you know, I think the, the people that, that you really need to ask, uh, about the, the, that transformation are the parents. Um, I always love talking to the parents, uh, you know, standing on the lawn of the Capitol at the end of the summer. Uh, I love talking to the parents because... The parents see these transformations in, in their sons that just go beyond anything they've experienced before. Um, and, you know, to see it through their eyes uh, is, is just incredible. I mean, one thing I want to talk about, and because by the nature of this podcast, we talk about cycling events a lot. So Journey of Hope comes up a lot. Um, and I think that's just, you know, that's nature because it's, it's, a, it's a big time commitment. So not only is it a two-month, you know, 65-day trip, it's the prep, we talk, the prep time we talked about. Um, there's just so much that goes into it and, you know, kind of a get out, get out what you put in. Um, but to get an ability experience, like we like to say since our name change, what, you don't have to do Journey of Hope. You don't have to do Gear Florida. Right. What do you say to perspective, maybe even perspective members of the fraternity or fraternity members that have not had their ability experience experience yet. Um, you know, what, what would you say to people that, you know, haven't gotten their feet wet with us and, and just haven't had, um, that volunteer experience with the, with the ability experience? Uh, you know, that's a hard one to answer because I think, I think a lot of that has to be personal drive. Uh, there's gotta be a personal motivation to want to, uh, to want to participate in these. But at the same time, I, I think that's where, you know, for anybody that's, that's done, whether it's a summer event or in any of these other experiences, you know, the, the, the cool thing is there, there's so many chapters out there that now that have volunteer relationships with somebody locally in their community. And, you know, all I've got to do is talk to, you know, talk to some of the other guys in the chapter that have had these experiences before, uh, you know, that, that have gone out and done one of these uh, kind of prom night for a local ARC chapter. Um, you know, or, or whatever it might be, but, you know, talk to the guys that have had these experiences and, and just one time tag along, 
you know, even if you, you have no idea what you're doing, you feel completely uncomfortable, you feel out of your element, just tag along. Um, you know, worst that can happen is, is you know, you, you don't have the, the experience that you think you might have, but uh, best case is, is you, you realize something in yourself that, uh, that you only see by serving somebody else. Yeah, I always try to explain it as it's hard to realize what you'll get out of it until you do it. It's yeah. you know, we're all we're always trying to think of how we can better market our programs, but it, to a certain extent, it's you're you're right. You have to have the will to want to try something new, um, and and go out there and volunteer. Right. And one of the one of the big things is, I mean, with all these chapters that have a big showing in any of the summer events, you know, word of mouth goes a long ways. You've got these people ramping up you know, the lineage and like the experience of the chapters role and within all those. So it's ongoing. It's like for me being a founding father, and I think you might be able to relate. Uh, there had there was like a perfect window where I was exposed to the just right amount of the ability experience, which at the time was push experience or the push America that engaged my interests enough for me to want to pursue. Other than that, you know, I led the way for others in my chapter to kind of pursue because of that push. We see that yeah, a lot. And, and, and that's one of the coolest things, you know, Zorth, as, as a founding father, it's got to be pretty uh, meaningful to, for you to be able to see guys that have come after you now have these, these experiences. And, and uh, you know, I'm the same way. I, I, I love the fact that, you know, riding with, uh, with the Guff team this year, uh, we had four guys on the team from my alma mater, uh, from my chapter. And it was so rewarding to get to see them and, and see them get these experiences uh, at a stage in their life that's, you know, I'm in a very different place in life right now, but to see them get these experiences for the first time and know, know that it, it had some meaningful impact on them was just really kind of cool to see. Yeah, you're pretty much a local legend to the chapter. I don't know about that, but, uh, but it, was, it was fun to have them here for sure. Um, so just to wrap up, and I kind of joke because it's at, at this point in the podcast, the people that are listening are definitely the, uh, the dedicated Pi Alphas who are interested in these stories. But um, give us a good story. Give, it doesn't have to, it could be from the from Journey of Hope North. It can be from your coaching days. Um, give, us, give us a story from, from the Pi Alpha days. Oh, man, this is a, this is a tough one. Um, I leave that as open-ended on, on purpose. I, given given the the audience that the, that we're likely to have, I, I probably won't go. If you want if you want uh, good old stories, come to the Dubliner after arrival some year. Um, that's <laughs> that's the best I'll say. But I think for me, um, the most meaningful days that I've had as a coach uh, with these teams have been uh, a couple of the kind of marquee days on some of these routes where you know it's early in the route, early in the trip. Uh, and, and there may be a guy who's just struggling a little bit. Uh, you know, either they didn't do the training uh, that they should have done or they thought they'd done enough training and just didn't. Um, and, you know, on the north route, it's, it's Kirkwood. Uh, on the, the south route, you know, granted, south has changed a little bit, but it used to be the, the Death Valley day. Um, but I had two years in a row where, where I, I got to ride, you know, one year I did the Kirkwood day into Tahoe, and, and the next year I did, uh, yeah, it, you know, that day through past death valley when it was you know 112 degrees outside and you know both those times i ended up riding with sweeps and, and riding kind of the back of the pack um and kind of helping guys that probably wouldn't have finished those days finish um and that to me is the most rewarding thing that i get out of at, at, at doing this coaching because 
to be able to take somebody who doesn't think they have the ability or doesn't think they have have it in them to finish you know these big marquee days on the bike uh, and then you know, manage to get them through it, manage to get them to a finish. Um, and, and in both cases, there were tears involved when they, when they got there. And, you know, that, that's, pretty, that's pretty powerful. Um, so, you know, that's the kind of stuff I love to see is, is uh, you know, being able to, to, to prove to somebody that they actually can do something they didn't think they could do. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and I think from you being on the road for the first week of, of some trips, and you mentioned Alan and Zorth and all, you know, you all leading by example in that area. I think we've seen so many team members do the same thing, pick, pick each other up throughout the summer, um, get each other through those long rides and, and grow closer together as friends and brothers throughout the process as well. Um, yeah, I just, just want to thank you for coming on and sharing time with us. Um, organization as always, Corey is incredibly humble, but the organization is very lucky to have you. And we've, we've come a long way because of your support, and I know we will continue to, to grow with you. So thank you for being a part of, um, we mentioned the safety aspect, but really just a lot of board-level conversations that most of us don't even know about. Um, just So thank you for, for everything you do for the organization. I appreciate that, Gary, and, and you know, glad, glad to do it. Happy to, to still, still be around, and, and uh, yeah, if... if uh, if an old guy can still get on a bike and and get out there and mix it up with uh, with the young guys every summer, man, I'll I'll keep showing up. Yeah, thanks, Corey. You give me hope to keep doing this, and we look forward to seeing <laughs> how much better the teams are going to be getting. So, we definitely appreciate your your voice on the podcast. Well, Zora, thanks for having me on.